Hey guys, welcome to episode 43 of Bono's Stuff. And I'm really excited for you to listen into this one. One of the things I think will change the healthcare spectrum, the world in the long run in these coming years, hopefully, is functional medicine. I think it's an amazing alternative to the traditional medicine that we have that only looks at surface level problems and symptoms, which again, is very necessary and I am grateful for if we were in car accidents or you know you have a medical emergency, but to deal with long-term longevity, optimizing your health, functional medicine has been the only thing I've seen out there that truly covers that deeper, more effective, more optimal spectrum So hopefully, if you're not familiar, this episode will give you much more concepts around what functional medicine is. We probably need to do another episode where we just kind of define it a little bit better um, and and how someone like Pam works. She is a nurse practitioner that uh, works in functional medicine as a way to assess, look at blood work, help with lifestyle change, a lot of overlaps of what I kind of end up working with as well. Um, So yeah, I was really excited to do this one. I'm really glad she jumped on here and hope you guys get a lot of value out of this. If you do, please like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast uh, app you are listening to. Hope you guys have a great day. Enjoy the episode and don't forget to get 1% better. We're live. All right. With Pamela Jacobson, Pam Jacobson. Um, How how are you coming to us from? Southern California, Southern Orange California. County. Yes. yes, and uh, we'll leave a little bit of that music on, and hopefully YouTube won't copyright me or whatever. And uh, I wanted to introduce you guys. So she is a practitioner of functional medicine, as well as incorporating Chinese medicine mm-hmm. to set the, the groundwork. And I, we met through my wife, Dr. Maha, who has given me permission. I'm I'm just putting the HIPAA violation people out there. She has given me permission to uh, bring up the fact that they are working together uh, to deal with some of my wife's uh, health stuff going on and just getting uh, aligned and optimized. And that is where I think we, when when I first sat in on one of your guys' sessions, uh, you used a lot of those phrases. And I said, I need to talk to this woman because we are very aligned in our missions of optimizing health. Um, I've avoided Bo, B-O, body optimization as my <laughs> kind of catchphrase, but, but it's been there. And uh, again, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this talk because I think, again, we share that great vision. We did have a few other chats about um, just general kind of concepts and philosophies. So yeah, again, I, I want to jump right into it. Um, but yeah, how are you doing? What's going on in, in Southern California right now? Um, how's your practice been? What's what t- catch us up? Give us a little insight on on who you are, why uh, we're talking here. Okay, absolutely. Well, first of all, Southern California is amazing, fabulous. Um, uh, you know, of course, the land of the beautiful weather that kind of never stops. Mm-hmm. But um, and and as my practice is, uh, you know, is, has been an interesting transition over the past year, as it is, I think, for many people. You know, I went from having. Uh, being in more of an office setting and working with clients. Um, I was working with clients all over the country because of my consulting work with a large um, kind of multinational corporation, but I still had quite a contingent of clients in my local area. And 
that uh, has changed considerably over the last year. I closed my physical office and have taken everything um, virtual. So I do all of my patient consulting now um, via telehealth or online, telephone, Zoom. And it's actually opened up a, a kind of a whole new world for me, right? I can work with clients anywhere in the country. And uh, it's just been, you know, it's been amazing. I, um, my focus did not change. My focus is still working with individuals to help them optimize their wellness, optimize their health. And that kind of happens, you know, in two different tracks, the, the here's what you can do to help yourself. And then, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, using laboratory functional medical testing to figure out um, where there might be functional uh, breakdown, you know, and that's where the functional medicine comes in, understanding where function has already become an issue. So um, as you said, my my background is is varied. I my original training was in uh, Western medicine, so in conventional uh, Western medicine, I was trained as a nurse, and I worked in a number of different fields, but predominantly oncology. So I worked with cancer patients, and then um, had some of my own health issues, and that led me down um, a different path. And eventually, I returned to training and got a master's in Chinese medicine, and that's when I opened my uh, private practice in Orange County. Some 20 plus years ago. And then um, over time, I continued to study in the field of functional medicine and became board certified several years ago uh, in that um, discipline. So yeah, that's what I do today. I, I consult with clients who are looking to optimize their health, you know, for, for many reasons, right? Maybe they just want to make sure they're going to age well, they're pretty healthy already. They just want to know, is there more I could do? Let's test you know, run tests and make sure that there's not some functional issue lurking I'm not aware of, um, all the way up to people with, you know, stage four cancer diagnoses that are looking for, you know, what can I do at this point to optimize my treatment to um, give me, you know, other tools. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at today. Yeah. Uh, and I love it. And, and it's a great story. And um, with the, you know, going through your own health journey, I, I think that sometimes creates some of the better practitioners in, in a lot of ways. Um, and again, it reminded me a lot of uh, the, having listened to your story the last uh, week or two leading up to this, uh, reminded me of Chris Kresser also mm -hmm. going through kind of his his situation. For those not familiar, uh, he's a kind of a leading expert in the functional medicine space, if we want to call it that. Yes. Um, and yeah, incorporating different aspects of Chinese medicine and, and, and things like that. So um, yeah, one 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 thing I wanted to jump to is just the term functional medicine for those not familiar, possibly listening. Of um, again, it's it's just different. So traditional medicine, allopathic medicine, uh, the the really simple versions. When we talk about this, and correct me, jump in at any point. Is uh, for me the interpretation is uh, allopathic, phenomenal for patching up broken legs and um, and things like that, and dealing with symptoms. And again, you go in, um, you have COVID uh, and you know, we're gonna do a chest X-ray and we're going to, okay, you do have a pneumonia there. Here's a antibiotic uh, to deal with that, which I'm bringing up because that's exactly what happened to me two or three weeks ago. <laughs> so um, again, phenomenal allopathic concept, but the functional medicine is spending a lot more time. And again, as, as Pam said, using that term functional, uh, which usually relates to how well do you function? How well can you do the tasks that society needs you to do, your family needs you to do, that you want to do, uh, whether it's hiking, climbing, 
uh, picking stuff up, doing the groceries, whatever it is. So functional now connects to those things and looking at, if we want to call it anti-aging, which has become a little bit of a, uh, you know, trendy term, I guess, yeah. uh, of anti-aging. And I, again, I, I saw you on the Tom Ferry uh, podcast two weeks ago there and and you guys talking about you know these biohackers Ben Greenfields and and Joe Rogan's and all these different concepts that come out about nootropics and things like that and again uh, one thing for me that comes out of all that is how do we figure out what actually works how do we cut through a lot of the BS because there's a lot of salesman mm -hmm. stuff which um, and I don't think I'm, I'm a popular enough podcast yet that I'm gonna stir up a bunch of controversy but um, a guy that I liked early on is Dave Asprey with Bulletproof uh, the brand. And again, I think the more I looked into his stuff, the more I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to spend my money on some of this. It got very salesy and, and less scientific, pseudoscientific. Um, whereas I believe in a lot of science. And I think, again, we, I, th I think we uh, agree and overlap over the science side. And what does the evidence actually say um, in a lot of that sense? So yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think the, you know, my practice is, a, is continues to be an evidence-based practice. It's important because there is just a lot of stuff out there. Anybody mm -hmm. can, you know, with, with the, um, you know, the internet and YouTube and social media and the ability to say whatever you want to whoever mm -hmm. you want, whenever you want, I think it's really incumbent on each of us to be our own advocate when it comes to understanding the facts around um, what we can do to optimize our health. And, and I had a, a, a point to make on function um, you know, in, in our conventional medical system, that really is a system that was built on um, acute medical management. So to your point, you know, fixing a broken leg, you know, fevers, infections, bleeding. Um, and really, you know, the toolbox is very small. It's pharmaceutical intervention or surgical intervention. Fu you know, functional medicine is really looking at the breakdown of function. And this is function of the body as well, right? So your various uh, functional systems, digestive, hormone balance, blood sugar control, these things, you know, functionally will change over many, many years and decades before they become the diseases that you hear about, things like diabetes and heart disease, and even some cancers. Um, you don't wake up one day with a disease, right? It's a very long trajectory to get there. And it, what functional medicine does is looks at, you know, where is function declining or changing? Um, and, and how can we intervene now, most of the time using, you know, lifestyle measures like sleep and stress response management and nutrition and exercise. But how can we apply the interventions early on to avoid the eventual disease state. So um, I, I think a functional medicine is kind of the first line, right? It's really about prevention. It's about education. It's about setting you up with the tools so that you can optimize your health and avoid um, disease. So um, I think that's an, an important distinction. Someday, hopefully in my lifetime, uh, it will be um, uh, a, a combined medicine, right? Many of my... Um, the the people that I trained with in my functional medicine board certification program, uh, I would say the majority of them actually were medical doctors, MDs already practicing in allopathic medicine that were looking, you know, they were tired of just patching people up and, and trying to save you from your poor lifestyle. <laughs> and they really wanted to get on the front end, right, prevention end, uh, and help people with um, disease prevention. So I think it's a... Um, it's definitely a worthy cause, something I'm passionate about, mainly for the reasons you stated earlier, I had my own experiences. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I agree with you. There's a lot of, 
Um, there's just a lot of stuff out there and it can be challenging as the lay person uh, to know what is the right thing to do. I, you know, it's mm -hmm. the question that it's the biggest question I get when somebody new decides to become a client of mine is I don't know, should I be taking supplements? I don't know if I should be, you know, what kind of exercise to do? Should I be on a ketogenic diet? Should I do fasting? Right. Um, and oftentimes they come with sort of their self-created or perhaps they did hear something on Joe Rogan's podcast or they did start following Dave Asprey's work and they come in with their own system and yeah. it's not working for them. So right. I, I really feel like the, the biggest take home for anybody watching today should be there is no one size fits all anything for an individual. We are all individuals. So you really have to, through self-experimentation or biohacking, if that's what you want to call it, um, you will, you know, that's how you get to the place that you know what works for you. And then if you've got, you know, folks who can guide you through that process, Bo, myself, Chris Cresser, there's lots of us out there these days um, to, you know, help you kind of refine that a little bit. I think using testing, can be a helpful way to understand, you know, what kind of supplementation might help, um, you know, what level of exercise makes sense, um, you know, what kind of nutrition, you know, might be the best approach for you. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, the term I always say to, to folks and I keep including in my social media posts and things like that is like, everyone needs a coach. Um, I, I think, and, and when we say coach, again, it might be a functional medicine practitioner. It might be a medical doctor if you can get one to spend more than, you know, seven minutes with you. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think it, that takes us kind of naturally to your third, uh, the, the third point that we were going to talk about, bullet point, of uh, assessment of baseline health as a guidepost for health optimization, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is a bit of a mouthful, but I think encapsulates what we're talking about here. So I, I did want to touch base about uh, when we talk about blood work and, and what do folks, again, the general pop public, uh, to your point of it needs to be optimized, it needs to be ideal, it needs to be customized and individualized and all these fun uh, versions. But again, if, you know, again, Maha is going to have very different stuff going on from what I have going on hormonally and things like that. And again, the traditional medical model, when I speak with folks about uh, their cholesterol numbers and they send me some of their blood work. Um, and again, we have different uh, licensures. Mm -hmm. We have different state regulations that we're all following. So I'm going to kind of jump over that. But, um, but at the end of the day, when they tell me, okay, my allopathic, my traditional doctor did this blood work for me. And I say, well, there's a lot more we can look at, A, um, and there's different ways that we can piece things together. And that's where, again, I might send them over to somebody who's a little bit more uh, able to put those pieces together better than myself even better than most of the medical doctors, traditional doctors who, again, aren't going to spend a ton of time with you. So that's where uh, someone like you comes in. So yeah, tell us a little about your baseline assessment, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, my background is in, in conventional medicine. So I did have quite a long, you know, part of my career already, you know, having some experience in looking at the conventional um, laboratory testing, especially blood work. That was the predominant uh, type of testing that I would see in the environment that I was working in. And in that environment, it's it's really more of a the blood test and, and testing in general is more, especially for, you know, people who are going, say, for, to get an annual physical, or it's their once a year visit to their cardiologist, or, or maybe they're seeing an endocrinologist. And the the blood work that's being done is a screening. It's really basically just a 
um, a, a sort of a high level, not, not in depth or comprehensive to any degree. It's not there to evaluate function as much as it's there to um, identify potential disease or condition, right? So, right. Um, and I'll use the cholesterol panel as an example of the difference between what I might do for a client versus what their primary care doctor is going to do at the annual physical. So, you know, a, a standard cholesterol panel gives you some really basic information, total cholesterol, and then it breaks total cholesterol down into LDL or what some people call bad cholesterol. It's kind of not bad. We really need to have it, but, but um, you know, there's a certain type and a certain um, degree of LDL that can be a problem. Um, and then we see HDL, which people think of as the good cholesterol. So not a lot of information there to go on, but enough from conventional medicine's perspective that if that total cholesterol exceeds um, an accepted number, then the doctor has a tool in their toolbox they can use for that. They can give you a statin to lower that number. Um, what they don't do is in most cases. Now, that, that's not to say that today some of your more integrative-based cardiologists aren't using advanced um, lipid testing because there's a lot of really good science to indicate that it gives you more in-depth information to stratify, tr stratify the risk for cardiovascular disease that your client currently has. But again, you know, you have to think about, for me, that's an important uh, level of information because it's going to inform how I guide my client in terms of what they need to do from a lifestyle perspective. What kind of supplementation do I want them on a really high dose fish oil? Do I want them on, do I want them on a statin? And am I going to suggest that they go to their doctor and talk to them about that? So um, the, the difference in functional testing versus conventional is they're looking for disease and condition screening. I'm looking at a very comprehensive level of testing to tell me, is their function changing? And you know, the lipid panel is a great way to look at where somebody is along that trajectory of the potential for heart disease mm -hmm. um, and risk for cardiovascular events, such as a heart attack or stroke. Um, and it, you know, it, and we tend to think of it as this is like an old person's problem. Like mm. most people don't even bother to have their cholesterol checked until they're maybe already in their fifties or sixties. But we're, if you look at these numbers in young people today, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, that's really where all of this starts. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, for all of my clients, my baseline screening is looking at um, stratis stratifying their risk for cardiovascular disease, looking at hormone balance, again, a, a real big issue in our younger population, and especially our younger females, is um, issues with hormone balance because of the widespread use of oral contraception mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the, um, you know, some of the genetic, genetically based disorders we see like, you know, polycystic ovary syndrome that goes undetected, usually until a woman is trying to have children and is infertile, and then it's discovered. So, you know, there's, Again, you know, these are these are conditions and things that get missed in the conventional medical mm -hmm. model because remember, it, it's it's looking at disease after it's already occurred. Mm -hmm. It's screening for disease that's occurred. It's not looking ahead to see is function changing and how could we prevent the disease? Because I don't have a tool 
yeah. in my toolbox as an MD to prevent your disease. I have pharmaceuticals to basically mm -hmm. manage your symptoms and surgical procedures for some things, right? right? I can do some things with surgery, but I can't do a lot of, you know, function correction. A lot of that has to be done with a change in, you know, lifestyle is a big one. So, right. um, you know, I'm looking at blood sugar balance is another really huge issue. And this starts very young, like in our really young kids because of diet and lack of exercise. And so we see these really young kids already insulin resistant in mm -hmm. their teenage years, right? And with all, all kinds of sugar spiking going on, creating inflammatory processes. Mm -hmm. So when I work with a client, I do a comprehensive set of testing to kind of establish that baseline. Where are they at with hormone balance? Where are they at with, with their glucose control? Where are they at with gut function? Mm -hmm. That's a huge issue as well, right? That's, that's your fuel tank, right? So if it wouldn't matter how good my diet is if my gut isn't functioning well and I don't get the nutrients properly um, you know, distributed to the cells, then I'm, I'm not gonna be you know, very functional. So um, again, very different than what we would do <laughs> in a conventional medical setting. Yeah, and, and again, you, you know, when we talk about functional, I think for me, what, I come, what always comes up for me is that optimization. Um, so again, like let's use vitamin D as an example, uh, the normal range, uh, normal, again, being who are we looking at? Uh, are we looking at 100 people from, and you know, I don't wanna uh, overly stereotype, but 100 people from, uh, the Target or the Walmart down the street versus 100 people at the CrossFit gym who probably have better numbers theoretically. Um, but at the end of the day, if we're talking about a normal range and, and the range is 30 to 100, mm -hmm. um, you know, of, of normal. And again, um, my, we'll, we'll pick on Maha here. She had like 31 or something very, very much at the bottom of the range, where again, most traditional doctors might look at that and say, hey, you're in the normal range. Like, cool, good luck. Um, and I've had uh, a few clients, again, when I've looked at their the same, same exact thing, they told me their, their normal doctor said, you're in the normal range. So right. like, there's right. no point to get you to 60 or, or 70 or whatever the range where you're going to be more optimal and your body's going to function better. And again, we're talking about avoiding stuff down the line. So the other analogy I like to use in these concepts is the car mechanic. So again, when, when they open up the hood and they're looking at how everything's functioning, um, they don't, they're, they're not saying you're within, you know, this, this, and I'm not a car guy by any means, um, but, but it, they're saying, you know, uh, the, the oil here is, is kind of the baseline minimum that you're going to do. If you want to, if you want your car to live 10 years longer and you want to get an extra 60,000 miles out of your car, um, you should switch to this oil or, right. or what have you. So same concept, I think. And, and again, we're talking about chronic issues, like you said, uh, that develop over 10, 20, 30 years. Cancer doesn't just come up out of nowhere, most right. likely. So it's, the sooner we can get to a lot of these issues, the better we're able to treat them, the more likely we are to avoid them. And again, uh, you know, that's where you, you had your issues in terms of what brought you into a little bit of this type of practice. I, my father passed away at 41 of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. I'm 37 right now. So I'm like looking at, and, and I just got COVID, which has its connections and right now with the evidence to heart issues. And so I'm looking at it saying like, what can I do to make sure again, I've been living, you know, again, the last 30 something years of my life, trying to be as healthy as I can be. Um, COVID definitely dro dropped me down a few pegs. So now I just have to keep building back that heart health and, and cardiovascular health and things like that. So right. um, in terms of chronic conditions, again, I think it's, 
it's vital that we continue to push these types of practices. And again, mm -hmm. I, I wish that, um, you know, more people were aware of this stuff. I wish that, uh, and the other scary statistic that came up as we were, as you were talking for me is this is the first generation of children that has a shorter life expectancy than the generation before it, the first time right. in history, right. as we've continued to make progress on medicine and things like that. Um, but because of a lot of the things you talked about, insulin and hormone issues, um, those are all building up in your teens, your twenties, um, possibly even in, in your single digits, <laughs> um, with the way that, that, um, you know, a lot of modern things, which are great in some ways, but have caused us some of these issues. So right. it's figuring out how to, how to work against that. So. Well, and, and I think with our youth, you know, again, primarily they're seeing, well, most of the time they're not really needing any kind of medical care or treatment on a regular basis. And um, so no one is really monitoring their baseline health. And to your point with the reference ranges, um, and most of us, you know, we see our blood lab reports and we see these ranges. Um, what your doctor is looking for is whether you are outside either below or above the range. So they just scan down the test, look for the L's or the H's. Right. Um, and, but in functional medicine, we look at every single value and we're looking for optimal range. So mm -hmm. optimal range, not in every single test, but in the majority of them is going to be somewhere around dead center of the range. So vitamin D, for instance, should be around 60 to 70, roughly in that range. Um, you're really better on the higher end as mm -hmm. far as vitamin D goes. So, um, you know, and, and we're also looking at pattern, right, when we're looking at blood labs. But when you're, you know, when you're young, and you're not seeing a physician on a regular basis, and even if you were, and they were doing blood work, they're not looking at whether or not you're functioning optimally. They're just looking mm -hmm. to see, you know, if you're in the range. So a young woman with a low testosterone, say from the time she's a teenager, um, it, you know, when it arrives at um, her in her 40s, still at that level, and already has osteopenia, and testosterone is a really important bone building hormone in the body. You know, if we were looking at those things in our youth, and we were, we were shooting for or at least questioning why they weren't um, producing at an optimal level, um, I think we would have a really different situation, not to mention just, you know, dietary practice, mm -hmm. um, you know, movement, stress response management is huge. I mean, we still don't teach our children those things, right? They don't know how important it is to manage stress response on a day, especially now mm -hmm. more than ever, right? They're, all our worlds yeah. have been turned upside down, especially the kids, right? They're learning mm -hmm. at home and in these different environments. Um, and then sleep, right, is, is the other issue. So I, I think that, um, you know, you're right, for the first time in history, we're going to see a lowered um, expectancy, life expectancy for our youth. And, and these are a lot of the reasons why. And it's not going to be the conventional medical system that changes that or yeah. saves them, right? It's not. Yeah, we're on a pretty negative trajectory. And again, Chris Kresser, who we talked about earlier, has his book, I don't know if you've read it, The Unconventional Medicine Book, <laughs> which I have over here on my shelf somewhere. Um, but again, talking about how the current healthcare model is taking us into this just a, a incredible economic deficiency and it's just super costly. Um, again, you see these insurance companies and what, without going down that rabbit hole of, <laughs> of problems uh, that, you know, these CEOs are making, you know, just millions and millions of dollars. And um, it, it's just a, a terrible, terrible system. And again, without going political or anything like that. But I did want to step back to the cholesterol that you talked about in those optimal ranges. That's one of those unique ones. And again, I'd love to hear your take on this. Um, and I think I've heard again, Chris Kresser talk about the concept that 
um, the, the general kind of numbers, and they've probably changed a little bit over the years, but when you hit 200 for total cholesterol, um, that's when a lot of, again, traditional doctors are saying, let's put you on a statin because um, mm -hmm. over 200, that's scary. Um, and, and again, it's a very, it's not looking at the root cause. It's not trying to change lifestyle factors, things like that before we put you on statin. Statins have a lot of side effects, which again, when I hear anyone coming to me, uh, and they're on a statin, I say, well, the goal is going to be to get you off of that with your doctors, your physicians permission, but it's going to be by changing all these other things and having those right. conversations and trying to get you off of that. Cause they're, when you, when you're on statins, it's causing other negative things. But the part that I think Chris Kresser uh, has spoken about is the optimized range of who's living longer. And actually a lot of the carnivore diet folks are talking about this as well, that you live longer if your total cholesterol is actually in the like 250 to 300 range. Mm -hmm. Because again, cholesterol is not necessarily always a bad thing um, as sometimes we think it is. Uh, and so the other analogy there, and again, let me know if you, you like that analogy or not about the firefighters, that you know, if you drive by a house and there's a lot of firefighters, there's 200 firefighters, uh, does that tell us that, hey, there's too many firefighters, we need to get a few out of there, or the fire's really bad and we need all 200 firefighters, and maybe we just need to address the fire and what caused the fire, and can we start to address the fire? So right. that's the analogy I give some people in terms of trying to understand cholesterol a little bit differently. Um, so I don't know, wh wh where are you standing on? I, I, I know I brought up a few things there, but. Right. Well, I, I think um, I agree with, with all of those concepts. I, I think the issue really with with the way that we look at it conventionally and the standard of care, which is to put somebody on a statin for any number, you know, above 200. Um, there's some politics, obviously, and money involved in that decision to do that because there's not a lot of science. Um, but what I would say is that um, total cholesterol is just one of those you know, it's just one of those values that gives you real, no real information that you can treat from. Cholesterol is critical in the human body. It's the building block for all hormones, right? It's such an important um, factor. And we don't want to do everything that we possibly can, especially with pharmaceutical suppression to bring that down. I've seen, especially men, come into my office with cholesterol levels so low that they can't even make testosterone, right? So and their, and their cardiologist is clapping his hands at the visit saying, mm -hmm. you know, oh my God, that's so great. Your yeah. cholesterol's down to 120. I mean, that's dangerous. It's not, right. it's not even acceptable. Right. So it, it's, it's not, it, it's not about looking at the total um, cholesterol. It's really looking at the breakdown and, and more importantly, the inflammatory aspects of that. Mm -hmm. And that's what functional um, testing allows us to be able to do, right? We can look at the lipoprotein fractionation and we can see oxidized LDL, which is, which is truly the bad stuff, right? The, the inflammatory stuff. We can really stratify somebody's risk by looking at some of these other factors that we don't consider again. And the reason we don't consider it in conventional medicine, it's really simple. We don't have to. The standard of care is if your cholesterol is over 200, I put you on a statin and that absolutely will bring that number down. And at the same time, it will affect these other things. Right. To your point, the problem is the downstream impact mm -hmm. in the physical body on using a drug like a statin and what it does to the liver and other function. Anytime we mess with normal function, anytime we block normal function, like using uh, proton pump inhibitors, right, for right. reflux. Now we have to be really careful in how we use them because we've got all of these malabsorption issues, osteoporosis mm -hmm. being one of them. So 
you know, statins are, have some of those same downstream issue, um, you know, problems related to them. So we never want to just use those medications, you know, endlessly. The idea, anytime, if I'm ever recommending a statin, it's because I can tell in the functional testing that this is a really high risk cardiovascular event person. And I want them, and I tell them, I want you on a bridge. It's a bridge to bring things down quickly while you are working on your strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Our healthcare system is in the shape it's in because the majority of us, and not by our fault initially, because I don't think that we were educated. Certainly we don't learn it in school, we don't learn it in our community, we don't learn it in our churches, our families, how to care for ourselves, our physical vehicle, this gift that we've been given, mm -hmm. birthed into, we have this beautiful vehicle to carry us around the planet, we have no idea how to take care of it. And nobody teaches us, right? Yeah. Then we arrive in you know, our early adulthood, we've already done some damage in our teenage years, now we arrive in early adulthood, we don't have any education and we, we, we have no advocacy for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We just believe that we can do whatever we want and we can just go to the doctor and they can fix us mm -hmm. for the damage that we've created. And that's just not the case. So if, if you want things to be different and you want to live a healthy, optimized life, you're going to have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. There's nobody paying the bill. <laughs> and there's nobody that's got the answers. It starts with what you think, how you feel, what you eat, how much you move, and how much you rest your body. Mm -hmm. And most of us have no earthly idea hmm. how to even do that, right? So yeah. um, so I, I think for me, the, the PSA for me these days with my patients is, especially if they come on complaining about their doctor or the medical system, mm -hmm. yeah, all those things are problems, but we're the biggest problem because we continue to try to use a system that was never built to be used that way. Right. It's not intended to take care of your chronic condition that you create every time you open your mouth or every time you disregard your response to stress or choose to only sleep five hours, right? So in the, in the end, it is your fault. It is our blame and it is up to us to fix it. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And again, we're so in alignment with all that. And uh, that was another uh, way I like to phrase what I was building in my practice is, is providing that user's guide that we're never provided. Yeah. Um, and to your point of, of we're just, you know, again, you get a car, you get some basic maintenance stuff of like every 3000 or 6000 miles, you right. get an oil change. So we don't have that for the human body so much. Uh, we seek it out. And again, to your point earlier, like there's just so much information. You go to WebMD or the top Google search or, you know, whatever it becomes. So, yeah, it's interesting. I did two other things I wanted to uh, come back to. One, you talked about the natural process of the body that we don't want to enter. The more we interfere with it, the, the sometimes that creates again, me, it's it's uh, what's the saying? Paying Paul to chase the piper or, oh, yeah. or pay Mary. I, I don't know. Whatever that old Rob, Rob Peter to pay Paul. Rob Peter to pay Paul. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 the same thing in, in physical therapy. We have these debates about ice. And so when you're icing, you're not allowing the natural healing process to happen. Um, and that's not to say if you have an injury, uh, you twist your ankle, you have some swelling there, you have to make sure you're moving, you're compressing, you're elevating, but there's if we put ice there, again, the, the argument is you're actually not letting the natural healing happen. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of, again, uh, kicking the can down the road. And again, a lot of professional teams have actually gotten rid of. Um, and it's something I noticed a few years ago that, you know, you used to see, especially baseball pitchers, they'd finish 
their six innings, they get taken out of the game. You'd see them on the, in the, on the bench with these huge ice packs on. You stopped seeing that a while ago. So it's, it, they're starting, again, uh, some of the science is starting to catch up and become more in practice. So that's an interesting uh, thing for me, at, at least. I don't know if you find that interesting at all. Um, <laughs> um, and then the other thing with the cholesterol, again, to your point, uh, step jumping back to that for a second is, uh, I like that question. And again, I think I've heard a few different folks um, speak about it is asking, again, for the sake of understanding the concept of saying, would you rather your cholesterol be 300 or zero? Mm-hmm. And and if and again, theoretically, like you said, the doctor celebrating, oh, we're, we dropped from 200 to 120. So theoretically, zero is even better. But <laughs> to your point, uh, it's saying, yeah, like we need cholesterol. It is, again, a, a, a significant importance to our human function and our health and our longevity. Yeah. yeah. So, cool. and again, that's the balance. And we got scared of fat and saturated fat. And, and again, cholesterol is this scary thing. And uh, it, it becomes an even more complex conversation. I've been at dinner parties where somebody's like, well, I have familial cholesterolemia. And they know this fancy term where again, it's a, it's a genetic situation, but I'm still, I still say we, there's ways that we can start to work through um, and, and work on your cholesterol, even though theoretically, uh, again, eating comes back to, again, like getting rid of bad oils, um, getting rid of, you know, again, at the high, high heat oils that are creating oxidation and all these right. different processes as we, again, but it, it is a complex thing, but, uh, I, <laughs> I well, did and, and I think the important point you made there too, was about genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, you know, presents a, a challenge for all of us is and, and it's it's what you know makes us the unique individuals that we are and it makes it impossible for there to be a one size fits all right and so we can use maybe a ketogenic diet as an example there's a lot of really great science to support um, that dietary approach in certain populations but there are going to be those who are genetically predisposed to not do as well in that setting and you know unfortunately most of us aren't walking around with a little cheat sheet that says mm-hmm. oh here's my genetics let me check and see right. if that'll work for me right most of us have no clue mm-hmm. um, what our uh, predisposition for you know a condition may be Mm-hmm. And, and I use this um, analogy or this term quite a bit with my clients is what you need to understand about genetics, especially when somebody says, oh, it's, they, you know, or they'll say, oh, it runs in my family, mm-hmm. right? And I'll say, okay, well, here's the deal about genetics. Um, genetics, you know, loads the gun, right? It definitely is. I was, is I was under- just thinking. The yeah. <laughs> it loads the gun. It does maybe set you up to, mm-hmm. uh, to have a predisposition toward mm-hmm. a particular condition, but it's, it's it's epigenetics. It's what you apply Mm -hmm. to your genetic structure that pulls the trigger on that gun. And that can be any number of a a million different things, but, but predominantly the things we've talked about already, right? Your restorative sleep and, and, you know, not managing stress response and not giving your body the right nutrition and the right movement Mm -hmm. um, or being overly exposed in to toxins in the environment. There's lots of reasons why we might trigger uh, you know, genetic or, or the activity. food you eat at every single meal. Yes, the choices absolutely. you make that yeah. and again, a lot of times people tend to overlook that when when we get down these rabbit holes. And and yeah, I love that saying. And I think it is one of the most um, significant points to get across to almost every human, especially when they have that genetic again, like I said, uh, my father had a heart attack at 41. So mm-hmm. I have, uh, if I go to any doctor, they're like, Oh, we got to get you checked out like you have a heart risk factor. 
Um, you know, again, I look at my family and, and my grandparents lived uh, to 89 and 91. Um, and, and, and then on the other side was in their 90s also. So uh, I have that good kind of longevity, I guess. But again, in terms of quality of life towards the end there, uh, there's that genetic factors of mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, of some cancers that, again, luckily weren't su super uh, significant, but were there. And so again, as a 37-year-old now, I'm saying, what can I do to avoid these things later in life? Um, and, and what can I do to optimize my health now and when I'm hopefully in my 80s and 90s? Um, right. And beyond at this point with the way science is going, hopefully we can go beyond. Um, so yeah, I mean, the other big one there, uh, and we touched on it a few times, and it was your first bullet point there that you sent over is the sleep recovery. And maybe we can touch on the whoop thing here. Mm -hmm. um, but again, everything, you know, the simple answer or, or, or concept around sleep for me that I talk to people about is if you can get the benefits of good quality sleep in a pill, you know, that would be the, 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 the billion dollar, you know, whatever trillion, whatever the next thing above the zillion dollar thing is right. because the, there's so many benefits. And again, we're all looking for that. Uh, again, just, I need something instead of taking the steps and doing those little things that again, I'll give Maha, I'll give her the shout out here. And again, thanks to Pam of waking up a little bit earlier than her schedule allows, setting the alarm 30 minutes earlier, making sure, and again, we don't have kids. So I think if we had kids, this would be a whole different conversation, but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it, having that ability, and again, there's plenty of people who have the ability to do these things or find versions of this that you can sure. do, of course. So I, I do wanna throw that in there, but uh, of again, doing 10 minutes of some kind of movement every morning, doing 10 minutes of some kind of mindfulness meditation every morning, sometimes even at night, and just working that those little changes. Again, I talk about getting 1% better every day through my kind of my practice. And, but again, it's that those behaviors are probably getting her 5% better every day um, and things like that. And so we, if we can expedite the healing process that again, we're trying to undo some of the different hormonal things, some of the birth control things that we touched on, um, you know, those are just vital important. So back to sleep, um, I'll, I'll let you go because I can certainly ramble on about well, that for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, in my work with clients, I've, I've tried to simplify as much as possible. So I describe that I work in two different tracks. I work with them first and foremost on what they can do to help themselves. And then I will use laboratory testing as assessment to determine where function is broken down. But the most important part of the work I do with clients is in this first track. And, you know, I, I, I've, I, I focus on basically four main pillars um, and sleep is the most important. And the reason is because that's the only time that the body actually repairs itself, right? Mm -hmm. We used the car analogy earlier. It, you know, most of us drive our car into the garage. We stay in it with it running and expect the mechanic to be able to do the work on it that needs to be done. That's how we treat ourselves, our body, in terms of, of, of not giving ourselves the appropriate um, level of repair. So, and there's very simple things that, that a person can do. It's not just how much time in bed. That's mm -hmm. important. You have to have enough time in bed for the repair to occur, but it's the quality of the sleep. Mm -hmm. And that really starts to your point, Bo, from the minute you get up in the morning, mm -hmm. right? How well did you manage your stress response? How well did you feed yourself? But it also really makes a difference how you wind down. And that's one of the things that's really missing, I think, in the pandemic era that mm -hmm. we're in now is because most of us are now home all the time that we don't have transition. 
right? We don't have these transitions, especially to bed. We tend to be working or studying or still very active in our brains until late into the evening. And the nervous system isn't able to transition down to a level that that repair can happen. So you might stay in bed for eight hours, but you're never going to get the quality. You have to have rapid eye movement, REM sleep, mm -hmm. and you have to have slow wave or deep sleep. And you have to have enough of those two things. One is focused on the physical body. One is more focused on the memory consolidation brain. Um, but you need to cycle in and out of those levels of sleep. Right. Alcohol impacts that, eating too late at night, not doing some kind of a transition to bed, some kind of calming activity in the last 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, not allowing enough sleep time. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned the whoop strap. It's, you know, for those of you who aren't sure, there's lots of great tracking and measuring devices out there that can tell you this information. And Bo and I both like the whoop system. It's just easy to use. It's really simple, but there's, there's others out there. Um, I just said it's simple. It's, I think that again, I'll jump in and say, I, I think they're the most sophisticated and they have the the best maybe data set because they had uh, Apple probably has a significant amount, but mm -hmm. Apple's using a lot of their processing on the watch or the uh, the face right. with the messaging and the the like. Again, Whoop doesn't even put time on here, which is frustrating for me sometimes because if I'm working on a client uh, manual therapy wise, uh, I have to have another watch on. So it's it's frustrating to have a watch on both yeah. sides. But I'll, I just wanted to jump in and say yeah. And and the other thing that I really like that we were talking about that it measures and gives you that good information. Again, a lot of these different systems do. I'm not, we're not uh, doing an infomercial for Whoop by any means, but uh, is time in bed versus uh, actual time sleep and how much time you're spending in that deep sleep versus REM. And again, I think the Whoop is one of the better trackers of more accurately validity, reliability, all these fun scientific terms, but uh, of, of actually being the kind of at the, at the leading uh, edge of accuracy around the useful information there. Right. So I, and, I, and I think, and, and, and comparatively to other systems, what's, what's currently available today, because another thing that they give you is your recovery score, which is looking at things like resting heart rate and heart rate variability, which tell us how good of a job we did from the early you know, morning until we went to bed in terms of preparing ourselves to get into that deeper level of sleep. Mm -hmm. So uh, heart rate variability can be very impacted by stress and poor diet and you know, alcohol, all kinds of things. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of good data there. So if you're someone who isn't sure or wants to know more or have, I like tracking and measuring because I think it's a, evidence helps to incentivize us, right? When we see a number and we don't like it, we're more likely to change behavior to get a better score. So right. um, use some kind of tracking and measuring. Uh, but there's simple things you can do, right? Just start a half an hour before bed, you know, do some deep breathing, some wind down, turn your computer off and, um, and you know, be and careful. To, and to Maha's point or what you ever doing is start your day yes. the right way also, because it's that circadian rhythm. It's that 24 hour cycle. So if we, as soon as we wake up, we're getting, and I have, I showed you before we went live here, but that we have the, uh, oh, oh, there it is, the uh, the, the sun lamp uh, as, again, it's not always sunny here in Denver where we just moved. And the, when I was in SoCal, uh, where we moved to here from there, that I think that made sense. Um, <laughs> I would always take the dog for a walk, uh, have a little breakfast, and then I would go sit outside in our patio where we got as much direct sunshine on the body as possible. Um, to start that cycle. And again, it's important that you do get it um, into the 
like eyeballs, not directly. Don't look directly in the sun, um, like our recent president. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. So so the sleep side of it is is just significant. And I, 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 if I if I can also real quick for the listeners, anyone not familiar with heart rate variability that Pam mentioned. Uh, the it, it seems to be one of the best measures of how well your nervous system is recovered. Again, it can be more significant for hard charging humans, athletes, uh, professionals, and it's again even if you're not necessarily an athlete, uh, if you're just super stressed, you know it can give you a score. And I'll show you mine for the day. It's in the yellow, which is not as great as we'd like, um, but I'm recovering from stuff. So I'm at 66 percent. Uh, if you guys can kind of see that, mm -hmm. uh, and. <laughs> um, and again, it's it, the HRV is actually looking at not just your resting heart rate. So again, you talk to endurance athletes um, and your resting heart rate might be down at like 48 beats per minute um, versus somebody who's less healthy. Their resting heart rate might be in the 70s or 80s. Um, and again, that's a sign of less than ideal health, again, not being optimized. The, but the heart rate variability is actually looking at not just how many times it's beating per minute, but actually how it is beat to beat, which is why, again, we need more... Uh, sophisticated kind of whoop straps to look at that. And again, it's been developed uh, and the technology has come so far in, I would say, the last decade and 15 years or so when I first heard about HRV. Um, and it's, so it's looking between each beat. So it's not actually great if you're if it's at 1.0, 1.0, 1.0 1 seconds between beats. That actually is a sign that your nervous system is kind of not as excitable and not as ready, if you will. And I'm oversimplifying a little bit. But you actually prefer, want it to be like 0 0.7, 1.1, 0 0.9. You know, you want it to be a little bit different every time. And that's what it's measuring. So you don't, you know, and it's giving you a score based on that of wow. how variable your heart rate actually is beat to beat, which again, uh, this thing is tracking me 24 hours a day, which again, I don't know if we want to talk 5G and Big Brother and, and all this different stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a tool and hopefully we can understand how to use it. So I did want to maybe uh, just just have that little bit of um, expansion on on what that is and yeah. the use of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think tracking and measuring has been a huge. Um, it, it's been a huge benefit to my clients and my practice in terms of helping them to sort of move that needle in the direction that they want to go. And sleep optimization is the top of the heap, right? It's mm -hmm. I have I work in these four pillars, but they're not equal, right? Sleep mm -hmm. without sleep optimization, you're going to have a really hard time everywhere else. So mm -hmm. we start there, um, really looking at what we need to do to optimize sleep. Now, there are some reasons for sleep issues, you know, maybe hormone imbalance, blood sugar mm -hmm. issues at night, a lot of us have, you know, really dysregulated circadian rhythm. So we have to do some things like using a happy light and doing, you know, movement the first 15 minutes in the morning and really looking at cortisol levels. So again, this is where the assessment piece comes in, right? Mm -hmm. We layer the the lifestyle pieces in get somebody doing all of the things that they can be doing and assess are there some functional areas that we need to address like hormone imbalances and so forth yeah and the really cool thing that again i've been involved in the sleep side of things for again luckily um for over well over a decade where one of my patients uh owned reverie which is a sleep system company and so uh, he walked into my physical therapy clinic and, and we became good friends and um, look, you know, he brought me into that company and I got really deep into the sleep science cool. of it, which again, I'm really grateful for. And again, one of the really cool things that came out of uh, all that research is for those, uh, especially on the sports side and the recovery side, is when you're in that deep sleep, you're actually releasing human growth hormone, which is invariably steroids. So if you get deep enough sleep, you're taking natural steroids. 
um, which is again, when you're talking about recovery and, and you know, we've seen these articles about LeBron James sleeping 12 hours a day. Although at this point when we're recording this, he is injured. So, uh, you know, but he's gotten a little older, so <laughs> that's fine. Um, but yeah. And so the sleep side of it, again, I think we could talk for hours and hours yes. about, but, um, I did want to jump to your last bullet that you, you sent me about getting out of the jungle and let us know what that means. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the second pillar and, and I, I, I even tell my patients, it's actually not number two, it's 1.1. 1 .1. So it's yeah. slightly mm -hmm. less important than sleep. Um, <laughs> it is stress response management. I've mentioned it several times. Um, it, it, it really is connected to absolutely everything because the other two pillars are diet and exercise, right? And, and there's so much out there. And most of us generally, when we think about health optimization, those are probably the first two things most people would do is try to do something about their diet and try to move more. You don't generally have people that think that the first thing that could help them optimize their health would be to just sleep better or to sit down and um, meditate or deep breathe or something to manage their response to stress. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to really, you know, kind of have a little bit of time to talk about each of those two things because they are the most important out of the four. Um, if you're, and I like the jungle, I like the lion in the jungle analogy because I think mm -hmm. it's the easiest for someone to relate to. If, you know, if you're, most of us are in this proverbial jungle with a lion on our tail 24 seven, right? The, the, um, the survival portion of our brain is, um, you know, it, it's, it's the, it, it's, it's the primal unevolved, very small little piece that hangs under this giant, you know, evolved brain that we have and its job is our survival. And it, it, it did not evolve to the point where it has the ability to discern the difference between a lion in a jungle chasing you and a work deadline, you know, a skirmish with your spouse, whatever it might be, whatever the stress is, your nervous system does not have the ability to assign different grades or levels to stress. And, right. and you know, and that's the, if I can jump in, I, you know, I think a lot of us hear the term fight or flight mm -hmm. and that's kind of, I think if we're stuck in that fight or flight, and the first thing I do is I assess breathing pattern. And mm -hmm. so if people are breathing and they're up here in their chest and their traps, that to me, you know, it's, it's again, an oversimplification to some extent, but it tells me that they're in this fight or flight system. Um, and if they can, again, mindfulness and, and meditation are ultimately physiologically ways to tap into this deeper breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing, ultimately massage the vagus nerve which then tells the brain we're going to go for this fight or flight my life is is you know in danger there's a lion chasing me to rest and digest which again if we can play around and understand those systems because again when you're driving uh even if even if you don't have a crazy you know thing like you're just you might have some anxiety about driving you might have anxiety from again we're stuck to our phones at all times so if you have an email from your boss uh, you're going to be in this fight or flight. So that's the first thing. And, you know, I, I'll text people randomly, friends and clients, and I'll just say, hey, take a deep breath. Um, and, and, you know, it's just to get them out of that fight or flight. And I'm guessing that half the time, you know, I know most people are still going to these these habits. And I, I call it the lizard brain uh, or or and I don't know if that is the same exact thing as, as you're talking about, about this kind of primordial yeah. brain. Yeah. But, yeah, the lizard brain is the one that. Um, I think guys like Seth Godin talk about, and, and again, it's just these things that we're naturally kind of like, again, uh, build to, to go to that easiest path. And, and, you know, and if, and we, if we have the capacity 
to be more evolved than that, I guess, is, is, is the, the concept, if I may, that, um, you know, we can be, and we have that information in front of us, and we have uh, people like Pam or myself to, to help us hopefully go above that lizard brain. But unfortunately, when we get stuck in that lizard brain, that's when we are like, oh, McDonald's is really easy, or, you know, I'm going to go, it's cheaper, it's faster, um, let's just go with that. So Well, and know. I think, you know, too, if you think about it, when when you're in survival mode, mm -hmm. it becomes really almost essentially impossible to make the best dietary decision because your nervous system is making that on your behalf. If you're running in a jungle from a lion, you need a lot of fast carbs, mm -hmm. right? You need a lot of glucose. You can you need a lot of fast energy types of foods. Um, and you're already running in a mm -hmm. jungle. So where is going to be my motivation to exercise, right? right? So I tell my clients that come to me, weight loss is always like a, a mm -hmm. top uh, goal for most people. Um, and once I understand what's what's going on in their life, I'm like, you know, diet and exercise are not where you have to start. This yep. is not going to work for you. You can't make the best decisions in either of those categories until you manage the stress response. You've got to get out of the jungle. Um, and so for many of my clients, this actually is the starting place because it's also impacting their ability to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. So sleep and stress response management can be very interchangeable depending on what's going on. But I would say, especially in today's environment, mm -hmm. stress response management is critical. And that is the tool that you discussed. It's the breath. It's what all of the calming um, things that we talk about have in common, yoga, meditation, you know, it's, it's all about the deeper breath. Cause when you can get the breath down into the belly past the chest, that is the indication to that lizard brain. Oh, oh, she's really not in danger. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well then we'll just rest and digest until mm -hmm. the next, you know, thing comes along. So, um, you know, I think getting yourself regularly in practices that involve the deep breath is really critical for, um, you know, for managing stress response, which then kind of opens the doorway for you to be able to then fuel your body correctly and move your body, you know, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it sets the foundation for sure. And uh, I've had Steve Horney, who's a physical therapist in New York City, he has eight foundations of health that have we've gone through, uh, we had to break it up into two parts because we did four and four because <laughs> uh, we tried to go deep into each one. Again, I generally talk about five pillars of health. The one I add is connection, that mm -hmm. kind of um, with your partner, with social, and again, because that ties in. And again, there's all these different ways we can we can break these things down. Sure. And again, uh, even, you know, stress response can be 17 different things. Um, so, yeah. so, yeah. And again, I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on the hour here. Um, I don't know if there's any other major uh, component you wanted to, to, to kind of wrap up with here? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, honestly, it, it really is. If you, if, you know, you, the viewer out there have, you know, any desire or, or any inclination to optimize, there's so many simple things that you can do for yourself on a daily basis in these four kind of key pillar areas that we talked about today. And then just know that there is a way to assess baseline function. And I think it's an important thing to consider, right? How is your gut working? What does your hormone balance look like? These are not things that your conventional primary care physician are going to be likely to um, be able to offer or to discuss with you. So I think 
finding someone that you can work with that can help you so that you understand a lot of times functional breakdown is not something that you're aware of, right? It's not necessarily incredibly symptomatic at this point. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it really, uh, you know, it, it can take a decade before anything pops up that would get your attention enough to go do something about it. So, uh, so I think functional, you know, baseline evaluation is a really good idea to help you uh, kind of round out your health optimization efforts for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, on the physical side, that's that's exactly what I'm kind of selling, sleazy car salesman, if you will. But like, <laughs> it's uh, it's the same concept of hey, like you're doing all these kind of high intensity things. Again, I've worked with a lot of CrossFitters who are doing very bilateral workouts. And again, if they have an imbalance, we talk about the car analogy again. If you have a ten percent difference in your tire pressures over twenty thousand miles that might do something to your car, which is again why generally anyone who has a car, you get your wheels realigned and you do all this stuff that again, I'm handing that off. I don't know enough about it. Same thing, if you don't know enough about the human body, that's where you come to people like us uh, to, to hopefully help you you know, get that concept aligned. And, and again, the other part uh, on top of what you're saying is when, I, when I'm assessing people's body head to toe, movement patterns, um, and again, fitness, when we're talking about cardiovascular fitness or grip strength, things like that, that have been shown to be highly correlated to uh, length of life and quality of life, which again is, is that conversation that we're, we're trying to change it to, not just, again, uh, earlier we mentioned like, yeah, okay, if I, if I end up needing a knee replacement, I can just pay whatever, $70,000 and I'll have a new knee. Um, just like, again, if your car breaks down, you can just pay a mechanic, whatever, and it's a pain in the butt, but maybe you need a new car, maybe you need a new engine. Um, and unfortunately, again, that's the mindset. That's that lizard brain that we're living in versus saying you get one body, you know, we were given this gift, uh, depending on how spiritual you want to get about it. But, but, but at the end of the day, it's how do we optimize that situation and how yeah. do we, um, again, I don't want to end up with cancer. I don't want to end up with diabetes. Right. Um, that's my why, if you well, will. Well, we want to age well, right? I mean, most yeah. people, if you ask them, they want to live long and live healthy and, you know, it's and have good quality of life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that, that is your responsibility and it starts early on. You can't right. wait until I'll be 60 this year. You can't wait until you're my age. <laughs> Do it, right? It's, yeah. you know, some things are not reversible. At, but at point, the same so. time, you know, the best time to start was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Now, yeah. So if you're Absolutely. hearing this, hopefully we get that message across to you. And the other analogy I'll, I'll throw out there real quick. I appreciate that we're both into these analogies and things like that is, is saying, um, I call it a physical retirement plan. That again, a lot of people do this financial retirement concept, whether they it became automatic at their nine to five job, they had a 401k, um, those international people probably don't know what that is, but um, you, you know, I think it's a very American thing. But, uh, or if you, if for me, like I have a Roth IRA that I put money into to save money, but it, physically, if we're not looking at our joint health, if we're not looking at our hormonal balance, if we're not looking at these markers that again, the technology is coming along so rapidly to say, Hey, you're predisposed to this type of cancer. You're predisposed to, you know, and we can see that trend uh, pre-diabetes is, is, is become a big thing that we can now say, this is the trend and we need to start controlling XYZ lifestyle factors. At the end of the day, the, the, for me, as much as testing is vital, it's still saying, do we have these basic things in line? Let's not even start all these fancier conversations right. until we're still going to come back to, do you have your sleep aligned? Do you have your stress aligned? Do you have your food aligned? Are you drinking enough water and salt and things like that? So anyway, 
again, we could talk about that as for, for hours and hours, I'm sure. I do want to be respectful of your time. So uh, last thing we'll leave off on is if anyone wants to work with you or, or find you on the social medias, uh, where can we find you? Um, my website is thehealingsanctuaryoc.com. So that's probably the most reliable way to find me. Certainly Pam Jacobson, you'll find me on Instagram, Facebook, you know, all of the, I do a YouTube, uh, three things you need to know every Wednesday morning at 9am Pacific. It's a live um, show. So uh, anybody that wants to know more, I've been doing that show over a year. So lots of programs already recorded. So yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, check her out. Uh, if you like this conversation, leave a review, like, share with someone you think could benefit from it. Again, I, I, a lot of these episodes I've been doing recently, um, as much as I enjoy them, I really wish that we could get the message to more people. And so even if it gets to one or two people, I'm thrilled with that. But if we can get it to more and more folks who um, you know, hopefully have that light bulb moment. And, and again, that's the most rewarding thing for me with doing yeah. some of these is somebody's like, you know what, I listened to that episode with Pam and, and you know what, it finally clicked for me that I should get off that statin, um, and find a way to do that. And like, can you help me with that journey? So hopefully again, some of that's going on guys and, um, Pam, you can stay on. We're going to sign off. And, okay. uh, again, guys, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.